Welcome to The Last American Vagabond. I have Whitney Webb joining me today once again to go over some of her recent work, some of her work that was previously put on Last American Vagabond and is suddenly very, very relevant, as, as even was relevant when it went out. And of course, the Facebook whistleblower that I was just talking about that we wanted to dive into because it just lays out what Whitney has been telling us is going to happen this entire time once again. So thank you for joining us today, Whitney. How are you? Hey, doing okay. How are you? Good, good. All things considered, good to have you back on. It's always good to kind of flesh this out again because it seems like, you know, you keep laying things out that seem to come to pass. Doesn't mean we're psychic, but it means that you have an ability to look at their previous <laughs> actions and have a pretty good guess about what might happen. <laughs> right. Well, in the case of this report, we're going to talk about what I was really, what it's about is, is essentially the World Economic Forum's partnership against cybercrime, which, you know, was, was out before, existed well before I wrote about it. Uh, and they, you know, they make their plans pretty public, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's just knowing, um, you know, uh, I guess where a lot of these, uh, power fact, who a lot of these power factions are and looking at their documents and, yeah. um, writing about them this is in a way that people can understand. So, mm -hmm. yeah, this is one point that you've made a lot. And we, I was actually just talking about with, I believe it was Dr. Fleming. I can't remember which person I was speaking with yesterday, a bunch of interviews yesterday, but, the, but that, the, you know, it's there, they lay this out in front of you. You know, and they, if you were just, and it's not like it's some kind of secret wink, wink, like this is what they meant. They're telling you what they're going to do on the surface. If you're just listening to it, you know, and if you think tanks or whatever we're talking about, and that's what you do a good job of laying out. It's like, look, they're showing you this and people Thanks. just don't want to accept it. Though to that, I do want to add that, you know, these types of um, agendas, they tweak them. It's not like they, right. they follow the exact roadmap necessarily. They, they laid out 10 years ago, 20 years ago, they work towards them, obviously. Mm -hmm to the greatest extent they can, but they're, you know, uh, they, if they're trying to manufacture consent for something, for example, that's going to be something that they, that, that they tweak based on how, uh, the public reacts to certain things they do. Right. So, right. Right. Um, so do you think they wanna, so that they lay it out just, and let's jump into the Facebook discussion first, but just curious, just curious question. Do you think it's that they lay it out with the intention of changing the plan? I mean, this is your opinion or that, that we push back and it changes it to a degree and they just evolve based on different directions. Uh, well, uh, in the case, in, ca in the case of this one that we're going to talk about, which is like the cyber polygon, mm -hmm. internet control, internet, um, regulation push, um, and, and specifically in this article I did for T-Lab in July, the way they talk about it is cascading cyber attacks and increasing frequency and severity. Mm -hmm. Um, and to me, uh, that basically says people, uh, they're going to only really stop. <laughs> with the with the cyber attack thing until the people uh acquiesce right right, right. Uh, so if they think it's going to be one that lot that lasts i don't know two weeks or something and takes down services and websites x y and z you know if people acquiesce to that then they'll stop but if they don't then they'll have one that takes place soon after and is more severe Right. right. Based on how they set this up. So um, typical to their past actions. Right. I mean, it's this is why I'd use that analogy of sanctions, because it kind of seems like a similar tactic where they just drive you to desperation. And so we just kind of cave whether we want to or not. Yeah, it's a, it's a war on civilians. Uh, right. Just obviously they they frame it differently. And in this case, they uh, want to blame faceless cyber criminals um, <clears throat> per their documents. It's faceless cyber criminals working with a naughty nation state, which will probably be Iran, North Korea right. or, you know, uh, any of these 
conventional adversary uh, countries. Uh, but, you know, that's that, that's usually how the playbook tends to work more often than not. But, you know, depending on what they're trying to accomplish or who they need to convince, you know, these things can be tweaked and adjusted as uh, <clears throat> as needed from their perspective. Definitely. Now, before we jump into Facebook, because it's this the, it's such a perfect what we're discussing in the article we're going to get into next. This Facebook discussion just is it's the it's leading right into that. But since you brought you just mentioned North Korea, did you notice that the CIA or at least they just claimed that they're no longer going to be looking into North Korea? Do you have any thoughts on that? I thought that was interesting. I mean, they claimed, but <clears throat> I mean, who really knows, right? Yeah, it's an the opinion. The CIA's job is to like lie constantly. Exactly. Um, <laughs> so when they put out stories in like the mainstream press, they want everyone to see. I mean, yeah. it, there's a fifty percent chance it's true and a fifty percent chance it's not. Curious if you have any um, thoughts on you know, like people talking about North Korea as a you know being a CIA-run concept in and of itself. You know what I mean? Like it's just interesting the timing of it, and right. it's interesting. Well, I'm not an I'm not an expert on the Korea conflict, so I don't want to like comment yeah. too much on the Fair on enough. the specifics of that. But I do think there is a pivot towards um towards China, and I think it's this push to um I talked about this a lot in the recent interview uh, with Corbett, but there's basically this push to have the new world order, as it tends to be called, be basically uh, run by Chinese and U.S. or Western. Um, elites and there's two camps there. There's like the the hawkish on China ones and the ones that say let's work with China. Um, and you know the the papa of all of this is like Henry Kissinger, <laughs> and his whole thing is, is like you know we either go to we there's either a catastrophic war with China that destroys everything, or we build the new world order together with China. That meaning the U.S. and China mm -hmm. do this together. Um, and so I think there's a pivot to uh, create the necessary conflict where people will go, oh, we don't want nuclear war. We'll go the other route. But I mean, these guys like Kissinger and the people he works with now in, in, in this particular agenda, uh, chief of whom are, are Mike Bloomberg and Henry Paulson, who was secretary of the Treasury under uh, Bush, um, you know, I mean, they've been setting this up for years, this exact uh, catch-22. Um, so the CIA pivoting away from, or at least saying they're pivoting away from North Korea to focus more on China stuff is indicative that um, I think that they're looking to advance that particular um, uh, great power struggle. But if you look at uh, James's work, for example, right. or you can look at, um, you know, our recent interview, there's a lot of overlap between uh, China's oligarchy because they have an oligarchy Okay, they have lots of billionaires. It's not exactly like this socialist utopia, like some people wish to describe it as for some reason. Um, you know, there's a lot of overlap between uh, the U.S. elite, specifically like big tech and stuff uh, with with China's equivalent. And uh, they collaborate with the same type of, you know, think tanks, think and do tanks. Um, right. You know, so there's a lot going on behind the scenes and they definitely want to keep us on this superficial uh, level of nation state versus nation state when the reality and, and, and the agenda behind all of this is a lot more complicated and, and nuanced. And unfortunately, a lot of people in alternative media have uh, sort of dropped the ball on this and sort of want to act like we're still in 2019 um, <laughs> and that all of this other stuff hasn't um, come out in a big way and shown itself um, uh, that these other agendas haven't shown that uh, they're obviously at work here. And I can get into some of that later uh, if we have time after this uh, Facebook article and, 
and yeah. some other stuff. Um, yeah, we'll jump into it because this definitely is the you know leading right into all of this. And I I think obviously it seems more. I mean, my opinion that this is obviously from the beginning been coordinated between multiple countries, multiple governments. It's impossible that that's not the case. And I think the U.S. and China are primary in that, which that's, you know, seems like what we're getting into. Well, yeah, uh, it's a transnational either. power structure. That's right. what a lot of people fail to recognize. And or we choose. really need to or choose not to. Well, because it's right. easier. Right. Um, anyway, people's careers, you know, are, are you know invested in the two party illusion that seems to only want to point to one side or the other. Right? And that's why in my opinion. But so, true. So, so jumping into the Facebook, I mean, we just talked about this, uh, my last show with that was yesterday, the day before. And, you know, you and I were talking offline about this and we both felt, I mean, this is obviously not, I mean, <clears throat> the first point I made is it's so silly how you have 60 minutes in Facebook or you I mean 60 minutes in Washington post and everybody jumps on this immediately. Oh, real whistleblower, except project Veritas or a thousand others can come out in different angles Valid whistleblowers, and they don't even touch it. So just immediately suspicious. But why don't go give me? Yeah. Okay. So where was uh, the drone whistleblower Daniel Hale? Uh, right. Where right. where was his sixty minute special? And where was his testimony? Uh, big publicized testimony in front of Congress and stuff. I mean, yeah, right. So wh when they roll out a whistleblower like this, uh, you can pretty much be rest assured it's some sort of government or intelligence plant. Uh, this is no different. Basically, what she's calling for is public regulation not just of social media, but the internet in general. And of course, Facebook comes out afterwards and is like, well, we don't agree with public regulation of social media, but public regulation of the entire internet. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> Which is like stupid if you think about it, because if you're going to like have that kind of regulation over the entire internet, that would also mean regulation of social media because it's on the internet. So like, right. that's just dumb. Um, equity, Whitney, we got to make sure everybody's equally censored and then it's okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, we can talk about that later because the people pushing this agenda, this is a rules for thee, but not for me um, type of situation where they want to eliminate the public's ability to use uh, privacy enhancing technology online, for example, like encryption, but they can use it. It's fine right. for them to use it. Uh, because they're not the cyber criminals, rest assured. Um, you know, only only the people in the general public may be um, cyber criminals who uh, can no longer uh, be anonymous online <laughs> for whatever reason. Uh, it's hypocritical based on their provable actions from the past. But yeah, that's uh, that's the obvious thing. We don't care about facts and history and, and evidence anymore. It's all about narrative, which is the big part about me. It sticks out for, on this for me is that. You know, this is a very self-serving narrative. This isn't what a whistleblower. What she's saying is not contentious. What she's saying is not even against the mainstream narrative. That's not whistleblowing. That's just going. I agree <laughs> with what they're trying to do. You know, it's like, and what even what's crazier is that they're. Why don't we start with this? Do you feel that Facebook is a part of this, or, in your opinion, or that they're being thrown under the bus? Because I kind of not that that means that they're not part of the problem, but I kind of feel like Facebook is getting kicked to the side in a way, like throw it, they're being used as a scapegoat, as we've seen many times in the past. What are your thoughts? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I think you have to understand what social media was designed to be from the beginning, <clears throat> and how it's been allowed to grow into this very lucrative corporate behemoth. But if you look at Facebook's origins. It's 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 a military project. This is something that came from DARPA. That's why recently we also saw that like Twitter was caught handing a bunch of data over to DARPA. Right. right. This is all goes back to total information awareness. They couldn't get it uh, sold to the public. 
by having the military DARPA run it themselves. So uh, all those things got shot off into being privatized. The main uh, billionaire uh, involved in that was Peter Thiel, who of course is the guy that put Facebook on the map through his um, investment in them initially. Um, but also made Palantir, which is also a, an offshoot of what uh, total information awareness uh, was. And basically Facebook was was created at least at the point Thiel became involved uh, to become the lifelog project that was part of the information awareness office at DARPA. And that was basically about logging everything you do, where you go, <laughs> who you meet with, all of that. Exactly. And even actually included uh, wearing cameras. And then you have Facebook come out with their Ray-Ban partnership <laughs> to do exactly <laughs> that. I mean, they, they, they planned this like uh, almost two decades ago. So it, it basically, you know, DARPA allowed Facebook to become this, but ultimately at the end of the day, you know, they're the owners of this and, and the real brains behind this. So at some point they're going to, uh, you know, use it to advance particular agendas when they need it to. It continues to be lucrative nonetheless. Well, so um, but like mm -hmm. comparing the China analogy you put out before, right? So like the idea that like the, is this, I believe Facebook, even behind the scenes, whether Facebook continues past this is still part of it. The entities driving that, but is it sort of like they're transitioning from Facebook to something else? Like they're transitioning under the guise of the engineer fall of the West from the U S to China. You know? Well, there's a, there's a lot going on at Facebook beyond the social media platform yeah, right. that people don't see. They're trying to be the big leader of the metaverse and virtual reality and all of that stuff. That's why they bought Oculus Rift, which makes like all those goggles. The guy that made Oculus Rift also tied up with Peter Thiel named Palmer Lucky now is running Anduril, which is a military contractor that's doing all the surveillance drone uh, crap on, on the border um, uh, of, of the U S Mexico border. And so, I mean, he's a military, he, he's a military contractor, um, and Facebook, you know, I mean, the, the, this military involvement is very significant oh, yeah. and, um, people need to keep that in, in mind ultimately, because it's also the military, as we've talked about with the national security commission on AI and all of that stuff, that's really one of the driving forces for the implementation of this fourth industrial revolution, uh, within the U S it's the military and it's Silicon Valley. Um, which I, basically the Silicon Valley entities that are most deeply tied with intelligence and or the military, um, because a lot of these Silicon Valley companies are contractors uh, to the military and intelligence communities. Uh, so, you know, this is sort of a, a consistent thread through a lot of a lot of my work here. So people need to keep in mind what Facebook is and what it's not. Um, there's a, you know, Facebook tries to sell itself as being something. Right. But it's also a lot more than that. And its utility to the intelligence and military intelligence communities it should be very obvious to people. Mm -hmm. Look how readily Facebook cooperated with PRISM and the NSA and all of this stuff going decades back. And that didn't harm their business. Uh, at the end of the day, people still use it, uh, despite Edward Snowden whistleblower, right? right. <laughs> so, you know, it's... Um, uh, there's a lot more nuance here that isn't being really injected into the conversation about Facebook. It's being treated just as a social media platform. Uh, right. They're a lot more than that. I mean, remember how they also, I talked about this in my welcome leap article earlier, earlier this year, they had hunted the director of DARPA to lead Facebook's own private DARPA, which is involved in their augmented reality, virtual reality thing. 
in the past couple of months, Facebook and Zuckerberg and, you know, has been going on like Good Morning America or something, promoting their like metaverse virtual reality meeting rooms. Look how cool it is. And they wear like the Oculus headsets and have these little like circle things in their hands. And they're like, look how cool this makes us, you know, in, the, in our virtual world where the graphics honestly suck. Um, you know, this is better than meeting in the real world uh, and are trying to sell it on there. Like it's better to meet in this, you know, I don't know. It looks like I'm trying to remember the name of the, the kid video game. Uh, it's not it's not like Minecraft graphics, but it's like uh, it's 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 really not that. That, great that, that you know really it's great. it's better to meet in here than in the real world because they you know they tried to use covid to advance all of this stuff right mm -hmm. to be like we have to just do only digital because it's for your health and now they're just trying to be like well it's better um <laughs> the, the kid aspect of that's really concerning to me because we've already seen a lot of you know you're you're if you're, if you're worried about the internet or social media influencing and video games influencing a child's mentality like it, this is very invasive and very personal and this is you know young children are being aggressively influenced with this the uh, virtual reality aspect of this the oracle type it's in the education system now right. they're trying it's to serious. move education to remote learning almost entirely mm. uh, john klesek who writes for my site uh or contributes to my site has done a lot of really great work on this. It's being done by the teachers unions, the the Department of Education in collaboration with with big tech and, you know, the Rockefeller uh, links, think tanks and all of this stuff. And it's been going on for a long time, because if you can get, you know, kids acclimated to this, you know, get them acclimated when they're young, they get used right. to it uh, and they don't question it. And they're not like, well, actually, I uh, I like real life. I don't want to live in here forever. You see, that, that, that's one <laughs> you know? thing that we've been pointing out for a long time. Uh, people that are aware of it, that this, the obviously the, the the schooling system is used in a lot of different ways. But whether nor, it's normalizing a lot of things for the next generation, whether it's the police state, whether it's the invasive security system or the surveillance, right now where they're normalizing the next step into where they're going. Not to mention the fact that it has, has negative effects for your eyes for a lot of different things if you're using it the way they plan to use it. But who cares? Because that's what they want to drive forward. Well, there's studies about kids uh, at a certain age. If they use virtual reality, they like can't coordinate their movements. They like don't have hand-eye coordination and stuff. Okay. I mean, I don't know. But the whole thing, right, the metaverse, which is if you do a Google News search, for example, or like a news search engine uh, search for metaverse, uh, you will see that in the past two months that it, it, it's just become, ooh, the new buzzword. It's yeah. sort of tied up with the whole NFT explosion because uh -huh. those are like things you can buy to use in the metaverse. Um, but it's it, it's it's a segue into basically what the Matrix movies <laughs> were. It's basically uh, trying to sell that to people. Now, I don't really think people are buying it, uh, but that doesn't mean they're not trying to sell it to you. Exactly. Um, Great segue into this ridiculous tweet we're looking <laughs> at here from Hillary Clinton, of yes. all people, which a lot of people, even some of my followers, I shared it with an image of it and they're like, that must be fake. There's no way she would say that because it's a little confusing for people. Like, why would she be coming out and attacking the Silicon Valley? Because this is the, they're burning it down to rebuild kind of concept. Right. And let me read it for people on the podcast. 
Hillary Clinton says, tech companies have spent years building audiences for fear, hatred, misinformation. The same tech companies, seconds ago, they were all screaming about protecting. Why for profit? Now we're all living in the information system they've helped create, but it doesn't have to continue. <laughs> so give me your thoughts on that. Yeah, okay. So the people that have been creating the fear, hatred, and misinformation are groups like the CIA right. and, and groups of the national security state who divide and conquer, and they do that for profit. Um, and they created the big tech companies. Um, uh, yeah, it doesn't have to continue, Hillary, but you'll be out of a job. <laughs> <laughs> right. But I mean, and, I and, that's and in jail. <laughs> Hopefully. That's the ominous thing, <laughs> though, right? That it's like, but, right? This is the problem. Here comes the reaction. Here's the solution. Kind of, you know, it's like yeah. the whole idea is about, you know, of course, the ultimate point is that they're calling for more. That's the wrong one. Where is it? Right here more oversight as you were talking about right so all this yeah, needs to be more government it's, involvement it's not oversight of the company i really right. want to stress that this is oversight of you and what you do online okay so what this is a push for and this is something that predates the whistleblower and predates all of this by several years is a push to have uh, your government issued id linked to your social media account and that of course is a segue uh to the broader agenda that was um fielded uh, in the U.S. during the Obama administration, the driver's license for the internet, a government-issued ID linked to your ability to access the internet. Uh, having it implemented on social media is the first step. Uh, in, in, in order to eliminate trolling and bullying, because you can't hide behind a fake account. Um, and, you know, if you say something naughty on Facebook, or something they deem to be domestic terrorism, right? Um, you know, then they know exactly who you are and exactly where you live, uh, mm -hmm. because your your ID is tied to whatever you say online. And this is just and they can idea. use it in court against you because it's not like they don't already know what you're saying because of like the right. the surveillance that exists, but they can't they can't legally use that against you in court, right? right. That's and the big difference here. That uh, some people miss to the ID 2020 ties to the vaccine passports they're creating. I mean, it's all driving yeah. in direction from different angles, which is what you've been pointing out for a long time. Yeah, but a lot of people don't see that jump. And so I think this article I did for T-Lab in July does help tie it together, but it's very long. Uh, <laughs> so a lot of people don't like to read um, that our, our attention span will be our undoing. Well, you can bring it up now. I have, um, I have done my best to distill um, basically what this article is about uh, into a very brief, probably even minute long summary. I know that's amazing. Uh, we can clip <laughs> this for all the people with like very short attention spans. Perfect. I'm sure stars listening would like a clip of this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, so um, basically what this article is about is the part the West's partnership against cybercrime. And so who is the WEF partnership against cybercrime? It's the big banks, it's big tech, it's globalist think tanks like the World Economic Forum, Council of Europe, Third Way, Carnegie Endowment for International Peace, uh, in addition to cybersecurity companies that are intelligence cutouts. We've talked that this is uh, something we've talked about a lot uh, with my work in uh, for TLAF. Um, and it's also the governments of the UK, the US, Israel, and then glow, uh, regional or global law enforcement entities like Europol and Interpol, and also the FBI. But I already mentioned U.S. government, so that's kind of included. all the good guys, I guess, right? All the good guys, <laughs> the, the good guys. Um, 
So what are the goals of the WEF partnership against cybercrime? As I see it, there's really two. There's one that, uh, one is to create a global fin cyber, meaning financial cyber utility. Uh, and that is aimed expressly at gutting and eliminating completely uh, both online and financial anonymity for the public, not for them. And in their documents, they make it very explicit that it's not for them. Well, we need the anonymity to protect you. Uh, that's essentially how they set it up. The second goal of the partnership against cybercrime is to merge big business intelligence agencies and law enforcement. There's your public-private partnership of doom uh, <laughs> right there, basically, because you're having the enforcement arms and the sketchiest arms of the public sector teaming up with big business and you know multinational predatory corporations, uh, for lack of a better term, to fuck you over. Uh, <laughs> uh, but really, essentially, it's it, it's to you know keep the status quo and whatever system uh, they want to implement, you know, protected um, and insulated from any sort of threat, including insider threats, um, people with right. consciences. Um, that could threaten that. Okay, so what does this need to become reality? Uh, what they need to do is to manufacture consent for centralized control of the internet and also centralized control of digital money, eliminating anonymous, the ability to have any sort of anonymous financial transaction on online. This is going to be uh, when they launch their big attack on crypto in order to get everyone into the CBDC, central bank digital currency space. We will see more. They're, be, they're playing nice with crypto right now publicly, but you know, only China really has their digital yuan out. But we know that there's the, the Brit coin, the Fed coin, all of this in the works. Once those are out, the kid gloves for crypto will come off from the federal government and you will be pushed into safe digital money to centralize control of digital money. So how do they manufacture consent for this? Should be pretty obvious. It's a ransomware cyber attack on critical infrastructure and or services. And as I mentioned at the beginning, you know, they plan to do this in increasing frequency and severity until the people say, enough, stop all the cyber criminals. I'll agree to this centralized control. You can link my ID and my bank account to everything I do online and have the right to use it against me in court if you don't like what I say or do or what I buy, uh, you know, that's fine. Just as long as you make Facebook and WhatsApp and Instagram come back. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, that's essentially um, what it is. But I think they're going to attack services that are much more critical than than just social media. And actually uh, the other day, the FBI, which again is part of this, as I mentioned earlier, a member of this partnership against cybercrime warning ransomware gangs are going to attack critical uh, electronic infrastructure in the food system and the food supply chain, which is already uh, under a massive squeeze um, right. because of uh, what I would argue was a manufactured um, supply chain and energy crisis uh, that's going on right now. Because we're, um, we're also seeing the crossover to the vaccine side of this as well. The FBI getting involved in regard to COVID sites being attacked or attacking parents that are standing up at protests. Like they're, I, I've been trying to draw the people's eyes to that crossover there where like you're saying, it's not, it, it can be anybody that's spreading what they claim misinformation or doing something, you know, whether it's about foreign policy or the COVID-19 narrative, like there's a crossover there that seems pretty clear to me. 
What do you think? Yeah, well, I mean, the whole there's the whole war on domestic terror, right? And that's related to the cyber crime stuff, but it's also broad enough to really just cover anything that's dissent, whether it's online or offline. Mm-hmm. Uh, so here with the partnership against cyber crime, you know, this is basically about online activities, um, right? And, and pushing through these these pre existing agendas about centralized control over the internet, um, because it's not regulation of Facebook. They're not going after like. Facebook's uh, the things they do to like make profits, like their ads, <laughs> and in right. uh, and their how they uh, like harvest masses of data from you and your devices. They're not going to stop that. <laughs> they have no interest in stopping that. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's 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 very different, and so this is getting uh, obviously the mainstream media coverage of that is ignoring that in their headlines. They're making it seem like oh, re- regulation of these big companies. It's just like in the beginning of the 20th century in the progressive era when they broke up uh, the, like the Rockefeller monopoly, and then the Rockefellers ended up taking over the world, <laughs> basically. Right. Um, you know, uh, but their monopoly of Standard Oil. Uh, it, as, I'm, as I'm sure you've seen, I highly recommend uh, the. What, why, how and why Big Oil conquered the world from James Corbett. I interviewed him on both and how he makes that very clear that that was a coordinated, you know, engineered kind of thing. Like, oh, don't break us up. And then once they broke them up, they became infinitely more wealthy and the control exponentially more clear. It and is for- what happened. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And we've already seen this push, you know, the National Security Commission on AI being one of these things, right? Um, to basically formalize the the fusion of Silicon Valley big tech uh, with the military and intelligence communities, because we have to beat China in the AI arms race. That's how they frame it. But really, uh, they're all working behind the scenes and saying we have to uh, become China to stop China and, right. <laughs> and all of this stuff. And we have to go even farther in surveillance and and implementation of fourth industrial revolution automation stuff. Uh, otherwise, we'll lose, uh, you know, market and, uh, economic and military hegemony uh, to China. So it's the same kind of thing. We're we're spying and killing and and censoring for good reasons. So it's okay. You know, it's just it's 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 subjective and ridiculous. Yeah, well, that's how they frame it, too, in, in, in the narrative that they're feeding the public is like, well, we have values and democracy. So it's fine if we do this um, because we have values that the Chinese don't have. I mean, that's just like such shit. Um, anyone that believes that, I'm I'm sorry, you're living in a fairy tale. Um, it's childish. It's like a kid's book. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I had a com- I had a question for you in regard to the crypto a- discussion of that that I think is important to focus on. If you know, and of course, this could be a way to make it look like that's what's happening. But the, it's pretty clear that like that there are act, acts or you know agendas against the privacy angle of the blockchain crypto you know field. So it's interesting that you know to argue that that's all bad. It wouldn't make sense if they were trying to stop certain things. Like it seems to suggest that those are things that, as we've talked about before, could be used to in a way counter what's happening. You know, yeah, so. but I, um, you know, maybe I'm wrong on this, but I don't think using blockchain necessarily uh, creates privacy. Uh, it, I guess uh, there are people that use blockchain-based technology for privacy, but as I understand it, blockchain itself is not. It necess- it's a ledger, right? It's not necessarily privacy-enhancing. And in the case of like crypto uh, stuff, uh, as it exists right now, you know, you can use blockchain explorer and stuff to look mm-hmm. at different transactions and all of that. It's a you know, a ledger, a way of recording uh, transactions and, and things like that. So, um, 
I'm not really sure if that answers uh, your question, but I think what they're going, what they're, what ultimately what they're trying to do is, is to make it impossible. Anything that the public currently uses that lends itself to anonymity or it, privacy enhancement, um, they wish to eliminate right. public access to it anyway, not the technology itself. They want to use it for themselves. Right. Um, I guess the suggestion would there would then be that anything that would provide a level of privacy or anonymity would be something they wouldn't want. So there, it's something that we might be able to use. Like it's just something it's important that we consider that that. You know, there are a lot of things, as you know, people are pushing back against that might not necessarily be something we should ignore. I always make the, the argument that if we didn't tap into things in the past, there's plenty of examples, the Internet being one, that, that we just left it alone, we would be quite screwed right now. You know, under the argument that, well, it's their tool, so we shouldn't use it, you know, kind of a thing. But. Yeah, but the Internet has been successful up to this point because they haven't centralized it like they're hoping to do. I mean, if these guys really succeed with this extreme control push for the internet and the driver's license for the internet crap and all of that. Um, it's going to become a really boring place because people won't be able to express themselves. They'll be scared. They'll be self-censoring. Uh, they won't be putting the same type of content up or like, you know, it, it'll just change the fundamental nature of, uh, of what's going on online. Uh, and it's going to be a lot more boring. <laughs> and I don't, I think people will probably just, uh, avoid uh, using it unless they have, you know, an extreme screen addiction or are required for their livelihood to be, you know, plugged, but it's not going to be more fun, <laughs> you know. Well, I think that's a very kind way of putting it. Won't be, definitely won't be more exciting, but it's going to be a digital prison too. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Like tracking, monitoring, censoring. I mean, it's going to be a dystopian online world is what it's basically going to be, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Which is a, I'm which not, is not disagreeing with that at all. Yeah. yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. well, but when you centralize it, it's not going to be like it is now. It's not exactly. like, oh, you're going to, once they try and implement this and you're like, oh yeah, anything to get back on the internet it's just like now where they're like take the you know get the vaccine passport take the vaccine and you can go back to normal well it's not really normal like it was before is it right not, this is the new normal right <laughs> right yeah. so and it'll be like that you won't be going back to the old internet you'll be going back to internet 2.0 whatever right. that looks like and it will probably be shit <laughs> Well, I mean, we're already seeing this right now, like we've talked about. If you go on Google and search for, you know, just some kind of like broad concept about a vaccine from the past, you don't get that information. You get bombed with what they think you're trying to circumvent and find out. And it's like COVID's great or COVID vaccines are great. You know, it's like a thousand articles about why vaccine technology is safe or, you know, it's and that's very coordinated. Like if you're searching for something specific, you should be able to find these things. But or, you know, you're searching for pictures, let's say of something that they don't want negative effects of something. You're going to get a bunch of graphs. It's like, what happened? I know there are people online making pictures that make It's not just vaccines bad. though. I know. I'm just Actually, making the point. Yeah. Well, earlier this morning, I was looking for an old article I'd seen about a, a former police chief in the UK uh, denouncing former prime minister of the UK, Ted Heath, uh, for being a pedophile and uh, Google is just flat. I, I don't, I wasn't using something I normally use to search, right? Um, but Google just floods you with the uh, results being like, oh, it was a witch hunt and he wasn't really a right. naughty man and all of this. I, I, yeah, they have the apologia uh, right up out there in front and you can't really find it anymore. So it's definitely things that are completely unrelated um, <laughs> to vaccines at this point. Here's something. I'm sure uh, their Epstein search results are pretty interesting, though I haven't checked. 
Here's something you might find interesting on that note. I actually just pulled this up from my my uh, notes. This is something I saw today that you're going to laugh at. Uh, real quick, let's pull this up. I'm going to probably talk about this later. But so here's somebody saying, it's not an experimental gene therapy. The vaccine is safe. And it says, this tweet may be misleading. Why? Because it's just algorithmic and they don't like the word experimental gene therapy. And so they put misleading. And somebody jokingly and rightly says, finally, they use the tag right. <laughs> I just think it's hilarious because, you know, this is the point. It's not, they're censoring what even they would agree with just because it's just broad net, you know, broad stroke censorship, you know, I just, find yeah. Well, as we've talked about before, this is going to be, I think to a big degree, their, their downfall for a lot of stuff because they become so reliant on AI and the AI industry, like all of the other industries, these dudes control are corrupt as hell. And like, you know, use sales pitches for stuff that greatly exaggerates the affected effectiveness of things. Um, and so they're also, <laughs> but it's funny because in this case, they're trying to build society. So it's dependent on this thing that uh, doesn't work the way it's supposed to. Um, <laughs> so um, that's why like social media censorship based on AI has not uh, gone well. Right. As, as Corbett and, points out, they broke themselves to censor us. Right. I mean, it's hilarious because they, they yeah. look, they're ridiculous. <laughs> and it, it'll keep getting like that. I mean, it's just it, it is funny. Uh, we could talk more about this later. But, you know, I, I read about this company that is really uh, AI healthcare company, diagnostic robotics, like last July or something for T-Lab. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, they, they claim to be able to predict COVID outbreaks before symptoms, multiple days before symptoms appeared or whatever. Right. right. And if you believe their own numbers that they use in their sales pitch. It hasn't been independently verified by anyone, so they could just be making it up. They say that they're only right like 72% of the time, which means like, you know, one, you know, a quarter of the time, if you believe them, uh, they're wrong. And so if that were to be independently verified, it's more likely that it would be around like 50, 60%. It's the same as a freaking coin toss. You right. really want to put like all of your stuff. Um Dependent on that. I mean, I'm sure there are some tasks like data entry, whatever, that AI is really great at, but like running the whole world. I mean, good luck, losers. I don't know. These guys are so arrogant. And well, you made the point <laughs> before, which I thought was very relevant about the fact that they're, you know, aggressively trying to reach what we, you know, the singularity, right? The discussion of creating yeah. this, this, this and they and can't it, it failed. And that's and that this may be what we're they're at least in some regard trying to do, utilizing all this. You know, new technology and modern. That's why. People. That's why they want it on kids. That's why they're right. they're trying to get this technology uh, stuck on yeah. or into uh, kids, including really young kids. Yeah. Uh, if you want more information on that, go back and read my uh, Welcome Leap article. That pretty much tells you. I mean, that's DARPA Welcome Trust and uh, uh, the biggest players in the game mapping that out uh, because yeah. that's the only way they think they'll get the singularity because nothing else has worked. Probably won't work either, but it'll it'll destroy the lives of millions of kids. Um, will we let them anyway? Uh, right. Refer you back to to our interview on that in my article, uh, so we don't spend too much time rehashing that. But yeah, it's an yeah, no worry. I'll make sure I include it so people can read the article. It's a great article, and the interview as well. If you want to watch our rehash of it, but let, let's jump over real quick before we finish off with your your article. I uh, just want your your thoughts on what I was you know the, the idea of the crossover here. Right. The, the we can see the Facebook you know, argument of censorship and the online discussion there. But we've also seen this weird rise in uh, in regard to, you know, the FBI addressing the spike in threats against school boards. We're watching, you know, 
claims of attacks yeah. on sites, and and then of course the QN on crossover, which is really the point here. Ang- the- angry parents at school board meetings are being treated as like domestic terrorists, basically. I right. mean, we're not that far from that, that they're making this special task force uh, and that school boards that are uh, implementing stuff that's not scientific and is harmful right. to children. Obviously that's gonna make parents mad and they're like, we wanna be insulated from the people uh, who are being affected by our policies, come FBI and protect us. I mean, that's what this is really about. And right. labeling, and, and they're not that far from labeling these people domestic terrorists. These are parents trying right. to protect their kids. It's outrageous. Uh, I don't even know what else to say about it, except uh, this is some real shit going down. Like, right. if you if your head is still on the sand or, you know, you're, like, on the fence about stuff, I mean, oh, man, yeah. how bad does it have to get <laughs> for you to, to see what's happening here? And it's... Uh, the part that stands out to me is that, and they make it clear in this, that the reason they're reaching out to the FBI is because there's no, they're not, there's no action they can take. People aren't, in some cases, you could argue people are crossing lines and even legally speaking, maybe grabbing somebody or even acting violently. But by and large, these people are simply being vocal and aggressive, but maybe in a legal sense. So they can't do anything about it. So, because that's, that's the point even the FBI makes is like, well, this is, or, or I think it was Paskey said basically that, well, that's a local authority's issue. And I'm like, well, yes, I agree. But then the FBI gets involved. And that's because they don't have a legal avenue. They're trying to make this out to be some sort of a larger under, just under the surface. Like, you know, here's a good point. Just like she said in that 9-11 hearing, it's like, well, they're not technically breaking the law. So we need to change what we're considering illegal because they're operating just under the, so they're not breaking the law. What are we talking about? Same thing here, you know? Change the law to make what they're doing illegal because we don't like it. You can't yell at these people as they're trying to do negative, you know, force medical interventions on your children. It's just, it's, it's, a, yeah. it's a so, so that's a tyranny when we're at that point and the government's like, I'm going to change the law to make legal activity. We don't like illegal. You are not living in a freaking democracy. Exactly. Okay. We, we, things have advanced <laughs> beyond this point, really at the point where we are. And I know that, that Derek and a lot of other people and yourself have, have been talking about this a lot, probably for, you know, really ever before COVID even the, the way out of this is basically parallel societies um, at at this point. uh, And, you know, the vaccine passport situation, I think is uh, just accelerating that uh, really. Um, But yeah, you're not going to fix the system from within. So just uh, voting isn't going to help this. Vote harder next time. It'll work, right? You know, it just doesn't make yeah. sense. But th- before, but so this this crossover, I think, is an, important because of how just a quick overview is the idea that they're talking about this now. QAnon has gone global, right? And they're not even saying QAnon; they're saying just QAnon style. So basically, people that think that the oh government involved in human trafficking or something in just even the most broad concept, they're just they've been swayed by QAnon, even though there's no tie to QAnon. And the bottom line is that they tie this back in with the idea of a far. This plot we just pointed to, they're arguing, this this concept of attacking these things is what they're ultimately pointing to. And then they're swinging it back around with the idea of any misinformation, any attacks on vaccine infrastructure, you know, and then you, you can see the big picture. So just you know, fi- thoughts on this before we finish up with your-, your Yeah, own. okay. Uh, go back and watch Ryan's and my election special. <laughs> uh, we talked about how the CIA for the first year ever pretty much didn't do their worldwide threat assessment, but DHS, even though they've been around for 20 years, their first domestic threat assessment. And there were media reports about these things. 
uh, I forget, I think it was, was it Newsweek or Politico? It was one of these outlets was doing like, well, the CIA didn't do the worldwide threat assessment. So, but we talked to CIA people and this is what it would have said <laughs> or something. And one of them was the globalization of uh, far right white supremacy QAnon ideology. And so right. there you are. Oh, um, psychic, right? I mean, it's... And What's frustrating, first of all, is that this is something that was, you know, a, a broadly, I mean, there was, this has been around the world long before they claimed it was going that direction. Just the concept is spread, but it's not, I mean, first of all, it's not a crime to think these things, but I mean, the idea that they're using this as a, a, a entryway into attacking anybody that spreads any misinformation or what they claim is misinformation around whether foreign policy or COVID-19. Yeah. Wildly but it also goes back to the anonymity discussion because QAnon right. and all of this stuff is intimately tied to anonymous message boards, right? Yes, like great point. Fortune, great whatever. Point. Um, so we have to get rid of those, um, you know, and then after that, it's like, well, anything that allows you to be anonymous, we have to get rid of. Mm. Which also taps into the, you know, civil war division aspect because then QAnon is going to feel like they're being specifically targeted. And they, they I, we've talked about this too. I think they genuinely, I think you said this as well. They want, they're trying to trigger a violent reaction by the community within the QAnon discussion. Yeah, but they're not just doing that to QAnon. I mean, I think they're doing that to conservatives more broadly and other totally. segments of society trying to get people to snap. That's what they want. So then they can be like, everyone that thinks what this person thought is a terrorist. And then they get to roll out the whole infrastructure of the war on domestic terror that they set up earlier this year. Right. Um, it's set up, remember? It's like just, it's they're just waiting to be like, you know, pull the switch on it. Right. And, and turn it on. But it's all it's all there. Yep. Uh, and you think these guys are going to play nice and you're and if they come to your door, they're going to be like, oh, yeah, you're right. The Bill of Rights. I'll be going now. Um, <laughs> that's uh, that, 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 yeah. But that's not how that's not how these people work. Right. It's not. Yeah, I mean, Biden's executive I mean, order has laid this out very clearly, right? Anybody anywhere that goes against what they're saying or spreads what they claim is misinformation is therefore a terrorist. And that's not even yeah. I'm paraphrasing, but that is basically the conclusion of that of that executive order. This is why you need community. Okay. It sounds scary, but it sounds it should it's it should be scary to people who are isolated and don't have a network and don't have a community. Um, yeah. you know, it's time to to, to work towards that, you know, if it's just you um, and you spend, you know, you're on your screen all day and you're just consuming, uh, you know, information that scares you, true or not, right? Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's, um, nah, we, we got to move towards the community thing, especially as this um, war on domestic terror stuff um, advances. It's also not just going to be the U.S. that's going to be dealing with that. Right. You know, they, they, they've been setting up some similar apparatus in, in the EU, uh, in the U.K., in different places. Um, so, Yep, yep. And I, I mean, I, this is why we're, just to give a quick shout out to what we're doing on the 24th here in Franklin, you know, it's, it's about a, you know, showing people they're not alone. You need to find that community around you and the people that see the same things you're seeing because you're not alone. And I believe it's far more than people realize, you know, just to throw that out there. So. 24th, Franklin, Derek Bros's activation tour. So check it out. So let's jump over onto your, your, your re most recent article, Moderna, a company in need of a Hail Mary. I'm really interested by this. Now, I haven't got a time to, to read this all the way through, but I think that I, the interesting part for me is 
how Moderna plays into all of this. Cause I mean, I think I forget it was you and I that had this conversation way back in the beginning where it was kind of like, well, it seems pretty clear that Pfizer is going to be the go. And this is way before there's all these different discussions of different, maybe Merck was still on the table, you know, and we picked that because obviously Fauci had financial ties. Scientists, you worked with that financial ties. It was Moderna and Pfizer. It was, a, well, it had to do with DARPA. Well, and Moderna also. was also the other mRNA, which is why, but we were, I think Pfizer yeah, was yeah. the one that seemed more likely. And now that's seemingly the, the obvious case. So give us, you know, explain for what this article is about and, and why Moderna is in need of a Hail Mary and what that might mean. Yeah, well, this uh, this, this is a two-part series. So this first article is is basically a timeline of Moderna uh, six years into its founding, 2016, uh, right up until 2020 and uh, COVID began. Mm -hmm. Okay. And at that point, this is from mainstream media outlets. Moderna was a company in need of a Hail Mary, basically divine intervention to not collapse. Um, if you take the time to read this article, it's long, but it's worth your time because it shows you ex exactly what's going on here. And as uh, I've talked about on T-Lab before, this is something that's happened before. Go back and look at the history of Bioport, Emergent Biosolutions, and how they were also in need of a Hail Mary until the 2001 anthrax attacks took place. And what do you know? There's a lot of dark winter uh, references towards the ends of this article at the end of 2019. Uh, some nice honorable mentions uh, of uh, Robert Cadlick. Uh, who a lot of people should never, ever forget about, that asshole. Anyway. Um, Here's your story, I, by the way. The, <laughs> I'll include this, the Emergent Biosolutions and the you know Engineering Contagion. And just, just in, oh, I guess the pictures aren't showing up. I was going to show Robert Cadillac's picture, but I don't know why that's not showing up. Anyway, please continue. <laughs> yeah, sure. So, um, well, if you have my article up, um, I'll just read um, some pieces from it. From basically, as you can see in the, there's just the subtitle. It says, before COVID-19, Moderna was in danger of hemorrhaging investors. Uh, persistent safety, uh, they had persistent safety concerns and other doubts about its mRNA delivery system that threatened its, ent its entire product pipeline. Uh, and then uh, everything that brought, was brought about by COVID uh, made those concerns that had previously been in the public sphere, they all magically disappear, not unlike what would happen with Bioport, Emergent Biosolutions and their anthrax vaccine. Um, but there is no proof that in the case of Moderna that these concerns were ever resolved. Um, and in fact, uh, some of these, uh, I, I, in part two, I'll be showing that some of these, uh, you may have noticed that even though Moderna's uh, stock price uh, has just exploded since COVID, uh, it's been going down since August. That's because uh, some of uh, the big uh, financial guys and financial analysts have realized that the financial problems I detail in this report uh, have not, in fact, been resolved. <laughs> and so it's basically... Um, Basically, uh, Moderna is doomed to fail if they don't get the booster dose and have the booster dose be an annual year by year thing. They have to have it. And right. so they are going, people that are, have conflicts of interest here are going to steamroll the booster dose thing through. Um, already. <laughs> yeah. Did you yeah, want to share? The, did you want to share? Go ahead if you wanted to bring up your. Article. Well, I, I just want to bring up on the booster dose debate. I'm sure people that watch your show regularly are very familiar, but there were big resignations at the FDA over it, massive infighting right. um, about it at the FDA. Uh, not a consensus at all. I mean, it, even drastically different from uh, what happened with the emergency use authorizations and all of that stuff. I mean, just it, no agreement really at all. Lots of experts being like, no, no, no. And they're all being ignored so much for trust the science guys. Right. Um, and it was 16 <laughs> to two, by the way, 16 to two. And then there was the open hearing where they, all those experts came out. So even their panel was like, 
clearly no. And Walensky was like, well, we don't care. We're going to do it anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is why. Okay. Right. At least in the case of Moderna, the other case being BioNTech, which is the Pfizer vaccine. And there's a lot of similarities, but I didn't go into BioNTech in this article, really. But they rely to a significant degree on a lot of the same mRNA delivery technology. Uh, it ultimately comes, uh, a lot of it comes from the same patents and, and sources. Mm. Um, so anyway, um, <clears throat> there's this, well, maybe I should screen share. I can do mine if you'd like, but let me know either way. I think you got them highlighted already. I, I do have uh, some stuff highlighted, so just give me a no worries. a quick second. Yeah, but the joys the, of doing the, it live. While you're doing that, I just the the interesting history here is something we've got people have watched our show have seen many times is that they have continued to fail, continued to like the, the only as you point point out this this whole event is what created their success. But what's interesting is if you look at the history. The reason it failed is because the lipid nanoparticles were, you know, either the elevation was too, the amount was too high and it was causing adverse events. And that but they their argument is of why it succeeded was they added more lipid nanoparticles to make the mRNA delivery better. And that's but they don't yeah. know how that higher elevation wasn't still causing adverse events. You know, I mean, well, not even that. But Moderna is super secretive and they have been this whole time and they won't mm -hmm. disclose the changes that were really made that they say made everything better. And there's evidence that it didn't actually have anyway. Uh, read my article for more information on part two when it comes out. Okay. But anyway, this article I'm sharing right now, if you can see it is from stat or stat news, uh, mainstream uh, healthcare focused um, uh, website. Uh, so this article is from 2016 people should really go back and read the, I mean, it's wild article. Uh, this is the whole reason I started writing this was because I read this and I was like, holy shit. Um, so, you know, ego, ambition, and turmoil inside one of biotech's most secretive startups. And here is St Stefan Bunsell, mm -hmm. um, you know, CEO of, of Moderna talking about, you know, it's obsession with secrecy, it's caustic work environment. They've run into roadblocks with its most ambitious projects their ceo fires everyone that can't make the science work um you know those are all good signs right a healthy right. company not at all like theranos uh, <laughs> but actually if you read this i i, I titled it uh, that first section that for a reason uh, but, you know, I, I just highlighted here how they, you know, um, between 2012 and 2016, Bonsell uh, himself was a key factor in the resignation of at least a dozen top executives, including those who directed Moderna's product pipeline and its vaccine projects because they couldn't get Moderna's science to work. And it has to work or you're out. Yeah. Um, he is a career guy in sales and operations for Eli Lilly. Um, no background in mRNA or the science behind its use as a therapeutic. He's basically a salesman under his leadership. Moderna uh, was loath to publish its work in scientific journals, but enthusiastic to sell its potential on CNBC and CNN. Um, so under Bunsell, it's about promoting its science through media publicity and public relations, not with actual the publication of actual data or peer reviewed uh, scientific studies or, or evidence. So um, and that's actually calling the shots. Yeah. But some of the astonishing things you'll find in, in, in this article um, uh, are quotes from former Moderna scientists and executives and employees who all had to sign really extreme non-disclosure agreements on the same level as those that worked at Theranos had to. Mm -hmm. um, very aggressive NDA policy. Um, 
but so but they spoke anonymous, anonymously to Staten and, and other outlets, right? And so one of the some of these guys called Moderna at the time a case of the emperor's new clothes. He said as saying that Stefan Bonsell of Moderna was actually running an investment firm and then hoping it also develops a drug that's successful. Um Wow. Okay. But, you know, I'm just going over this pretty quickly. I really encourage you to read the whole thing. Uh, here's a, a brief, uh, I guess, uh, paragraph on how I uh, sort of some of the comparisons to Theranos, which is relevant because Elizabeth Holmes is on trial right now, right? He was the former top executive um, at Theranos that like Moderna had extreme culture of secrecy, had an extreme NDA agreement tried to keep uh, employees siloed just in their part of the company, not knowing what was going on elsewhere. Mm. Uh, but publicly, they were praised as a company that's going to revolutionize and change medicine forever. They said that about Moderna uh, before COVID. That was really the only thing keeping them afloat, as right. you will see in this article before COVID. Um, yeah, it's it's pretty insane. Um, and also the top executives have no professional healthcare or science experience, but they fired or forced resignations of employees who disagreed with them or couldn't provide positive results. And both companies failed to publish any evidence their shit actually worked in peer reviewed journals. Uh, Moderna eventually got around that, but all of their studies where they tried to do that before COVID had major caveats or didn't really show positive data. Uh, they were just trying to keep investors from completely abandoning them. Um, so anyway, um, the other thing I want to stress here, um, and I would encourage people to read this article for nothing else in the context of the booster de uh, debate for, for some of the information about um, a controversy, the roadblock they encountered with their technology in 2017 um, had to do with a particular therapy um, that had helped justify their very uh, high valuation of the highest uh, valued biotech company at the time. Um, and it didn't work. It was never safe enough to test in humans. And this is because it was a multi-dose therapy. Um, so after this failed, Moderna was basically forced to rely on producing products that only needed to be injected once or at the most twice. Anything injected more than twice was too toxic to even test in humans. Okay, uh, this is very important with the booster dose stuff. Um, just really want to put it out there because as I said earlier, and there'll be, there's info about it in here, and there's also more info about it in part two. Um, there's no evidence they actually fixed these issues. <laughs> there's actually more evidence to the contrary that they weren't fixed and that they did fix it. Um, so anyway, at the time when this was failing, people were saying Moderna was in need of a Hail Mary. Um, and as you mentioned, the repeated problem Moderna was having was that safe doses were too weak repeat doses that were strong enough to be affected were too toxic, right? And this is the conundrum they've had consistently. So basically what Moderna has been doing for years, this is like <laughs> their grift essentially, is to publish phase one data with doses that are not effective but safe <laughs> and then use that to, uh, you know, sell their products and boost their port, uh, their their investment, their portfolio and all of this stuff. Um, but then when it comes to studying effectiveness, they move it to the other side um, because they've already established the safety. Right. But they manipulate the dosing and change the dosing between phases. And they did that with the covid vaccine um, yep, I mean, anyway. And this is all I mean, as I, this is all sourced and backed up. I mean, these are valid things you can look up and they, here we are. It just shows you the false nature of our entire system right now.
Yeah, so this is more about um, um, how uh, employees, uh, Moderna claimed that they were going to fix the lipid nanoparticle thing. Uh, they claimed to have developed these two new systems called Nigel and Figel. Um, and then all these uh, former uh, and, and current Moderna people <laughs> were basically like, I'm pretty sure this is nothing. And they just put new names on the same stuff they've been using. And uh, someone said that these alleged platforms, which years later were proven not to have ever uh, been anything, oh, um, right. they would have to be miraculous Hail Mary sort of save for them to get where they need to be on their timelines. Or uh, so either Boncel is extremely confident it's going to work or he's jittery that with a lack of progress, he just has to put something out there to keep investors from fleeing. Yeah. And so um, there's a lot more in here. Definitely read through it. That's just the the beginning through 2017. I go all the way through 2019. And there's a lot of stuff in there uh, about once uh, getting to 2019 about Moderna's t uh, relationship with the World Economic Forum, uh, for example. Um, Robert Cadlick, because in April 2019, Moderna was trying to um, <clears throat> promote its pandemic, it's uh, basically pandemic medical countermeasures uh, potential uh, for vaccines. And they published uh, results on two candidates that they were co-developing with BARDA. And it was the same one that was used in Robert Cadlick's Crimson Contagion simulation of a global pandemic uh, originating in China and spreading in air travel in 2019. Of course, um, if you're familiar with my work on Robert Cadlick, you will know that he is one of the main uh, dark winter goons with very unsettling ties to the anthrax attacks, which of course bailed out emergent biosolutions to which Robert Cadlick had um, deep and enduring ties. Um, <clears throat> anyway, there's a lot more here, but this particular event, I don't know if you covered it yet or not, Ryan, um, yeah, but it's quite, talking. yeah, it's quite important um, mm -hmm. because it, it basically, uh, not only do you have Rick Bright, of Barda, which is overseen by Robert Cadlick at this time, right? Uh, and Fauci, you also have Margaret Hamburg, who is like one of the main Dark Winter people also. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Long-standing ties to Ted Turner, National uh, Nuclear Threat Initiative, and also currently uh, a scientific advisor to the Gates Foundation. Um, I comments on that real quick. The same thing I said in the show is obviously that's a really important clip. But what's interesting is it's being misrepresented by a lot of the ones you would expect in the well, yeah. media. And my point was simply that like, that's huge. And to come out and say that one, like that clip is proof that they worked with the UN to fake a virus is just, you can't prove that by that clip. And so my problem is that people will yeah. point to that and say, that's why what you're doing or what I'm doing on that clip is also what Infowars is doing or whatever. And it, that's how no. that works. You know read, what I mean? Just read my article. You'll see exactly. what exactly. that what why that clip is actually important. Uh, yeah. Basically, um, uh, it, and in the context of the Moderna thing, Bright and Fauci go on to be the main backers of the Moderna U.S. government partnership that leads to its COVID vaccine. Right. Um, and the the way that relationship was officially established is nuts. It was with this NIH guy Barney Graham. Uh, and it, it was so obviously involved foreknowledge that this was going to be a huge thing uh, that the Washington Post, when they reported on it, said uh, this was just a mix of serendipity and foresight. You know, I mean, some of, of the stuff in there is is pretty nuts. Um, so anyway, that's going to that's all going to be in part two. But if you want to know just in how 
bad shape Moderna was before COVID. Right. You can uh, check it out there and uh, they're going to go back to all of these problems unless they get the annual booster dose approved and forced on you. And th this is obviously, I don't want to say like, oh, this, uh, everything that's happened the past year and a half was done to benefit Moderna. No. I mean, look at the anthrax attacks, right? That, that obviously a, a component of that was done to bail out and benefit emergent biosolutions and the Pentagon's mandatory anthrax can, uh, mandatory anthrax vaccination campaign. Um, and I think, you know, in, in the same way, you know, I think those obviously were probably factors here as well. Um, but there's obviously a lot of other agendas coming together around this. These are um, these big events, 9-11 style events, whatever you want to call them, are always uh, created and designed and implemented uh, to benefit a convergence of different factors of um, uh, of different groups that interlock and, you know, that yeah. have uh, very close ties to one another, but you know, it's a, it's a little more complex than how some people are, are treating it. Sure. It tends to be. Yeah. But I, to, 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 the main point for me in your article, and please make sure you guys read her work because it's always outstanding is, is, you know, COVID saved them, whether that was planned, whether that was an or, organic coincidence, serendipitous coincidence, it is up for debate, but clearly they were failing, 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 and we didn't figure out how to succeed, but suddenly we have an emergency quasi, you know, we don't have to be perfectly safe. We'll just kind of jam it through under the guise of an emergency. And now the booster is serving as that same point. And as Whitney's saying is that that is now being driven through. And as at least one part of a multifaceted agenda, that booster will save them yet again. You can't miss stuff like this. I mean, it's obvious that this is some part of it. And at the end of the day, we don't have all the information in front of us, which is what we need to make an informed decision, which is the last thing they want from us right now. But to end on this concept, Whitney, where, you know, where do you see this going from here? Right. There's always kind of what I like to, you know, talk with you about to wrap it up, unless you don't have any more time. Are you, are you pressed on time? No, no, I'm all right. So yeah. basically uh, this wasn't just bailing out Moderna. This is bailing out the entire like MRNA gene editing medicine industry that has been running into lots of problems. Um, not just here, right? Like look, CRISPR, for example, there's a lot of the same investors and, and entities tied to biotech companies and that, you know, that are all about CRISPR gene editing and gene editing medicines, like Editas Medicine, for example, George Church and, sure. and, and Bill Gates there and all that stuff, right? So, uh, but more and more studies come out all the time showing that CRISPR, even though they claim that it will fix genetic defects actually causes major DNA damage that may be causing more gen genetic defects than it actually claims to fix. Um, right. So, but they've invested so much money in it and it's not just, they've invested so much money in it, right? This whole thing is a cornerstone of this whole fourth industrial revolution thing to gene edit everything and to basically treat uh, natural life as programmable, right? So, you know, right. the human body, is a computer. That's why you hear all these metaphors by, by people like in Moderna, you know, we're hacking the software of life and all of this stuff. We're hacking uh, your body to do this and that. And, you know, <laughs> if you want to see what the elite really think about those things and why they really want them, uh, go watch Yuval Noah Harari's 2020 speech to Davos in January of that year, where he talks about how humans are no longer mysterious beings with souls. We are now hackable animals. 
Um, and that is, uh, you know, and, and how that ties into what he calls the age of digital dictatorships and data colonialism and all of this stuff. Um, it's an integral part of all of that. And so they can't have one of their main pillars uh, fail. And, you know, the fact the science isn't working, be damned, <laughs> uh, basically. I mean, these people are nuts. Uh, just the concepts and words you just laid out. I mean, that's not that's the antithesis of freedom and privacy. I mean, there's, you cannot argue that we're going to do the things you just discussed and still pretend like we live in a free society with, right? I mean, it's just, it's so frustrating that people can't put that together. They're removing things from your life and acting like it's good for you. Like that you'll own nothing by 2030 and then you'll never been happier. It's like, you believe that or else, you know, it's just, it's incredible to me. Uh, it's, it's yeah. Well, I mean, look, look at what's going on in Australia, which you could probably argue today is the Western country that has gone the farthest down the techno fascist rabbit hole up into this point. And they have like 25 million people that have to answer a call in five minutes, use geolocation and facial recognition to confirm they're who they say they are and they're at their home. Right. This is all about ending anonymity and implementing a system of complete control where you are a prisoner in your home um, and you are at the whims of these people completely and completely dependent on them. So the discussion then becomes, how do we fight against this? Um, I personally find it really amazing that there are people with platforms in places like Australia that are not denouncing this crazy techno fascist stuff going on over there. Please start doing so <laughs> that um you know and, and there's also some people starting to denounce it that weren't before but they're only doing so behind a paywall you know um yeah. you know if you have an audience that's loyal to you that needs to hear this uh you know i have to paywall stuff too because i was taken off patreon and stuff but it's never permanent it's like three or four days and then it's free right, right. so you know if you th this stuff has to get out there People have to start being more public in their denunciations of it if they choose or are, you know, now choosing to denounce it because um, we really can't wait much longer. And, you know, we had the situation with Facebook. What happens if next time in a couple months it's uh, the whole Internet? This uh, more recently, right, it was like uh, Twitter wasn't affected. Telegram was affected. Well, what, what happens if that five hour outage affects everything or what mm -hmm. if it's not five hours? What if it's one day? What if it's two days? What if it's three days? Um I think it's incumbent on all of us to, to think through what we will uh, be doing with our time in those uh, situations um, and, and to make the best of them, the more dependent we are um, on these things. And, oh, oh, total chaos because I can't get into Facebook. You know, no, no, no. Uh, you're in a bad way if, if that's how you ha reacted. Um, yeah. It, yeah. it should be a wake up call for you. Mm hmm. Couldn't agree more. It's a good place to leave it there, Whitney. Thank you so much for being here today. I think this is, I hope people read your article and hope maybe we can revisit part two, have you back on and talk about it, because I think this is one of the most important conversations to be had right now is, you know, the world they're building and how they're using these excuses to get there. Right. And we need to see what they're really doing behind that. So thank you for being here. Anything else you want to leave us with before we take off? Uh, I think we covered a lot today. Uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, if it gets too long, you know, <laughs> some people will be like, oh, you know, that's happened before. So I'll just, uh, you know leave it there. Thanks again for your time, Ryan. And hopefully I'll be back on soon to talk about something else. Absolutely. And as always, everybody out there question everything. Come to your own conclusions. Stay vigilant. Today, the job of building this nation geographically is completed. There are no new frontiers within our borders. So 
To what new horizons can we look now? Where are tomorrow's opportunities? What's ahead for you, for your children? The frontiers of the future are not on any map. They are in the test tubes and laboratories of the great industries. The Jacobardi case was one of the great judicial moments in world history and the public was totally unaware it was actually happening as the process was being engaged. General Electric and Professor Jacobardi went to the patent office with a little microbe that eats up oil spills. They said they had modified this microbe in the laboratory and therefore it was an invention. The patent office, the U.S. government, took a look at this quote invention and they said, no way. The patent statutes don't cover living things. This is not an invention. Turn down. Then General Electric and Dr. Jacobardi appealed to the U.S. Customs Court of Appeal. And to everyone's surprise, by a three to two decision, they overrode the patent office. We bring good things to life. And they said, this microbe looks more like a detergent or a reagent than a horse or a honeybee. I laughed because they didn't understand basic biology. It looked like a chemical to them. Had it had an antenna or eyes or wings or legs, it would never have crossed their table and been patented. Then the patent office appealed. And what the public should realize now is the patent office was very clear that you can't patent life. My organization provided the main amicus curiae brief. If you allow the patent on this microbe, we argued, it means that without any congressional guidance or public discussion, corporations will own the blueprints of life. When they made the decision, we lost by five to four, and Chief Justice Warren Burger said, sure, some of these are big issues, but we think this is a small decision. Seven years later, the U.S. Patent Office issued a one-sentence decree. You can patent anything in the world that's alive except a full-birth human being. We've all been hearing about the announcement that we have mapped the human genome, but what the public doesn't know is now there's a great race by genomic companies and biotech companies and life science companies to find the treasure in the map. The treasure are the individual genes that make up the blueprint of the human race. 
Every time they capture a gene and isolate it, these biotech companies claim it as intellectual property. The breast cancer gene, the cystic fibrosis gene, it goes on and on and on. If this goes unchallenged in the world community, within less than 10 years, a handful of global companies will own directly or through license the actual genes that make up the evolution of our species. And they're now beginning to patent the genomes of every other creature on this planet. In the age of biology, the politics is going to sort out between those who believe life first has intrinsic value, and therefore we should choose technologies and commercial venues that honor the intrinsic value. And then we're going to have people who believe, look, life is simply utility. It's commercial fare. And they will line up with the idea to let the marketplace be the ultimate arbiter of all of the age of biology.